This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome. 5 p.m. in the city of London. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. It is noon, noon here in New York, uh, where I find myself pleasantly today, alongside Alex Steele. Um, it has been what can only be described as something of a crazy day. Really? For financial markets. Really insane. Cent- three central banks raise 125 basis points, and we have a massive, massive bid into the bond market. Yields lower by, what, 40 basis points in Italy? So, BTPs. Italian 10-year, down by 40 basis points, nearly 41 basis points. Germany's down by 21 basis points. The UK, let me just find the right line here, down by 30 basis points. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. The UK five-year is down by 30.8 basis points. The Danish five-year, I'm just, I, these are the big moves we're seeing I, I'm today. actually surprised the US is holding it as well as it is. And we're only yeah. down by four basis points on the 10-year. The, the British pound is down by 1%. This is the cable show. We have to talk about the cable. Um, 122.54. So if I want to go out after this and go shopping before I get on my flight. I have things to buy. Yeah, he does. He does. He, he, that's what he was doing during the show. He was organizing his shopping trip. You're not supposed to say things like that. I'm not? No. Somebody else was doing an interview. I had moments to, uh, <laughs> to, to relax and enjoy myself. It's true. He did. So that, that's the headline coming out of the market. Um, there are plenty. There are lots of things going on out there. Uh, Denise Pellegrini joins us now to give us the headlines. Yeah, thank you, Guy. And we had that big rate hike from the Bank of England, raising interest rates, as you mentioned, a half point, saying more increases will be needed if signs of an inflationary spiral persist. ECB also lifting rates by a half point. Christine Lagarde said, Another move like that, almost certain next month. And that kind of makes uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell look like the dove here. So we're tracking that for you. More strike news after yesterday's big strikes in the UK. Royal Mail workers planning to resume strikes against the UK's Postal Service. And this sets the first date for a walkout this year. It's a dispute over pay and conditions. Industrial action set to begin. 12.30 p.m. London time, February 16th, and last 24 hours, according to the Communication Workers Union. And if you want a big bonus, guys, try working at Ferrari, because the luxury car maker, <laughs> it's paying its employees the biggest bonus in years after a sales and profit beat around 5,000 workers, guys. They're going to be getting as much as 13,500 euros in bonuses each. Guy, not sure if you picked up your new Ferrari yet, but Ferrari does say it's all thanks to demand for new models. And those are some of the stories we're following for you. And here is Guy. Denise, thank you very much indeed. Of course I picked up my new Ferrari. <laughs> Obvi. Yeah. What color is it again? Uh, I, it, that is an interesting question. Would you have a red Ferrari? I, I would. But 100%. I think some of the older ones look pretty cool in navy. There's some really nice navy ones out there. It'd be red. Ones. Hands down red. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a nice thing to, to have. Parking nice it on the street red. in New York would be great. Like old Ferrari full of beans <laughs> would be lovely. Anyway, um, 
Not sure quite how you segue from Ferrari to the Bank of England. Um, you really can't. The, you well, go. Uh, it, yeah, the, the Bank of England is 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 racing rates higher by fifty basis points today. Um, it is signalling that there could be more to come. Initially, this this kind of statement sounded fairly hawkish, uh, but the market has latched on to maybe some of the forward-looking indicators that aren't quite as hawkish, and as a result of which, gilt yields have absolutely tumbled today. My good friend and colleague Francie Lacroix sat down with the governor of the Bank of England. I'm not saying there will be no more rises. Let's be very clear on that, because, because frankly, it is too uncertain at the moment. We are going to react to the information and the evidence that we see. We're not on, you know, we're not, we haven't pre-announced an intention, because we have reached a point. You know, as I've said before, I think we have started to turn a corner. That's encouraging. There's a long way to go, and there are a lot of risks. The market, of course, was expecting us to hike by 50 basis points. So I don't think they will have been surprised by that. Uh, I think the market will also be focused on, on what we do next. We look at wages as a whole, and I think it's important to do that. So you know, we are looking at overall wage pressures in the economy. I'm not going to comment on public sector wage settlements, public sector wage issues at the moment, but I am obviously concerned about the economy as a whole. The Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, talking to Fran a little bit earlier on today. Let me tell you what's happening in the gilt market today. Gilts are down by 30 basis points. The 10-year UK gilt was trading a little below 3% just a moment ago. Effectively, what we've had today is the Bank of England raising by 50 basis points, signaling there's more to come. And yet we have seen a huge, huge easing of financial conditions. Is the Bank of England going to be comfortable with this? Is Is this the reaction the Bank of England was hoping for, looking for. Well, let's try and find out. Uh, BOE and UK economy reporter David Goodman joining us in the studio in London. David, I heard what the Bank of England said today. I've read through some of the statements. It it probably wasn't as hawkish as it could have been, but it was still had elements of hawkishness within there. Is that commensurate with a 30 basis points drop in a 10-year? Well, I mean, I don't think so. Is anything? I mean, Obviously, this happened across bond markets. We saw it in in Europe as well. They also had a, a fifty basis point hike, and then we had this massive rally in in Spanish and Italian bonds. <clears throat> I mean, I think if you look at what the BOE said, and it was interesting there, Bailey said we're not say, we're saying we're done. But what he also didn't say was like, look, this is the closest they've come to, to signaling they're done because every other meeting they've had, it feels, <clears throat> pardon me, in the past year, they've been really clear that more rate rises are coming. Mm-hmm. This time, there's an element of conditionality, an element of doubt perhaps in there. And I think the market has really latched onto it. Probably following what we saw from the Fed yesterday, we saw a similar reaction. It seems mm-hmm. like central banks are saying, look, we're not done, we're still fighting inflation. And the market say, no, no, you are, but or at least you're close to being done. Is it possible that they can be done and still be hawkish? Like, c- can you stop raising rates, but then hold it for a long time? And that's just as hawkish as otherwise continuing to hike in some capacity? I think, I think they can... I think that might be where the market gets surprised. And obviously, we're, we're pricing in some fairly quick rate cuts in the UK now. And if you think that, I don't know, 2% is a neutral rate, you're in very kind of, you're in tight territory now. So by holding it there for a considerable amount of time, that is obviously tightening financial conditions and, and bearing down on inflation. So I guess it might be hawkish in that sense. But remember, like, think of where we've come in the UK from, from back in kind of just after trust in the autumn, markets are pricing a peak of above 6% in the BOE rate. And now it's 4.25, maybe 4.5, but at the moment it looks like closer to 4.25. So that's they've already come down a long a long way. And I think if you ask people in, in November, they might have thought closer to 5 as well. So yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all relative there. Would you expect the bank to be out trying to recalibrate 
the market reaction. I was talking to Peter Pretz, uh, the former chief economist at the ECB, just a few moments ago alongside Alex, and his view was within the next few hours, the next few hours, you are going to see a reaction out of the ECB that is not going to be happy with what it sees on the boards in front of it. Um, I would have thought that's more likely from the ECB than the BOE based on where they are in their cycle and kind of what often happens after ECB meetings where you do get this kind of positioning afterwards. Particularly the bank and the Bailey have been fairly unlikely to push back against this kind of thing. I remember in the run-up to when they started hiking, everyone was convinced they were going to hike in way back in um, November 2021, I think it was, and the market kind of prepared for that. And there was zero pushback from the BOE, and then they didn't move, and that caused obviously a big repricing. I think that they'll see how it see how it kind of goes. I mean, I think their message was really, we are approaching the end. Mm-hmm. We are we are getting the end is in sight. And now, if it's a case of is that end four? Is it four point two five? Is it maybe four point five? I mean, I don't think they're going to stress too much over those little details and i mean obviously bailey was speaking to france and he was speaking after that market reaction and yeah. he didn't push back they have the they have all the opportunities to push back and, and they don't so i think that so kind of tells you something if we if we just for sake of argument say okay four percent is the terminal right and and they stay for a bit they also lower their growth forecasts uh yes they only see five quarter recession versus eight but the ability for the economy to grow and its potential is really terrible it's just seven tenths of one percent over three years like what how do we fix this for the UK? Yeah, I mean, that's been the question. I mean, that is the question that Liz Trust was trying to fix last year. And obviously, her way of doing it was, well. Well, yeah, it went very well. But it is still this kind of existential question the UK has to solve. And we're not really any closer to doing that now than we were back in kind of September, October last year. I think on the growth forecasts, yes, they're dismal. But I'd be too, I wouldn't compare them too much to what we saw in November because that was based off a a market curve and a gas curve that just didn't really exist. Now this feels like this is closer to the world that the BOE see, and particularly if they're kind of saying, yeah, rates going to be 4.25%, that's kind of, it's. you can probably take this forecast more seriously than you could the last one. How, how does the Bank of England deal with the issue of falling gas? At a headline level, it's good. But I do wonder whether or not there is a demand factor that will compensate for that, particularly in core. Yeah, I think I think obviously that to an extent that obviously you ha- you have that extra demand. I mean, one thing about the UK consumer is they've shown themselves to be pretty resilient to yeah. the the move up in gas. <laughs> the numbers have been good. Consumer confidence numbers are terrible, but actual spending and other kind of data is is a lot better. So, UK the UK consumer has always been resilient. We've seen that after Brexit, through COVID, that kind of thing. So, whether they're that sensitive, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Obviously, there's distributional effects and the people who are going to be most likely to be have extra money might might spend it a bit more um but i think that at the moment the, the other thing the boe seem to be doing on on gas prices is kind of shrugging their shoulders and being like yeah this is our best guess it, mm. it, it might be worse than this we don't <laughs> really know yeah yeah we've never really known that so why not this is what we're kind of this is our kind of best guess i think bailey said that in the press that he said yeah, yeah i think that exactly all of them that. basically did like yeah we're near terminal rate kind of sort of somewhere but we have no visibility on the future i feel like that was definitely tracking through all the, the central banks there. Um, if we do wind up seeing a cut, and it feels like the everyone seems like the first to cut will be the Fed and the BOE may be the last, but if they have to cut, do we know why? Is it because inflation is actually going to come down and they can declare a success? Does the economy just continue to get bad? What happens? I think if from the BOE's point of view, they are obviously a bit worried on the effect that interest rates at these levels will have on growth. You've, you've kind of seen that particularly in November when they were saying like, like if we get above 5% that's going to be awful for the economy 
and the UK's relationship with with housing and mortgage markets and that kind of stuff that might be something that, that prompts them to to move a bit earlier. I think they're going to be very careful about declaring victory on inflation. Yep. They've been burned so many times. That I think that's why maybe a kind of pause narrative might be something they cling to because that's not them saying we've won. It's just saying well, we think I- we're in a better place and we're going to hang on to here, hang on for a bit here for a bit and see how this goes. I mean, we've been at, the interest rate cycle's obviously been going for what just over a year now. And they're still saying we're waiting for the effects to to filter through. So obviously the effects of this is going to take a while to come through. And and the mortgage market is kind of completely turned on its head as well. So Let's say the labour market stays as tight as it is now. Stays at least eases a little bit. But nevertheless, you're not getting immigration. The over 50s are not coming back into the labour force. You have a tight labour market. What is the relationship between that and and how structurally high rates are going to have to be to compensate for that going forward. Because if we go into another upswing with a labour market that looks like this, I, we've, we've had some some wage rises recently, but you, you would see significantly more over the course of that next cycle as a result. Yeah, although obviously wage rises haven't got close to matching inflation no. in, in, in most places. And people have been talking about one-off awards. I, I think it, it's so hard because in the UK there just hasn't been any meaningful wage growth for so long. It feels like the public can You can't have wage rises when we've got austerity and, and, and back when the economy isn't in a great place. And now they're saying, yeah, inflation's high, but you can't have wage rises because that's dangerous. So, I mean, I think there's always going to be these pressures. If it's, yeah, I mean, you'd think if we are going to head into a recession, we may see some loosening of the labour market. But again, that's been predicted for so long as well mm-hmm. that it's it's difficult. Um, I know you're the UK economist, so I don't want to play you out of total position, but we're going to talk about the ECB next. We'll talk about the Fed in a little bit. Who, After the last 24 hours, what central banker do you think was most effective at talking to the markets and communicating a message? He laughs at me. It's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think the one with the clearest message was, was Lagarde at the ECB, right? And if you, if you strip out the market reaction... Yeah. That message from Lagarde was very okay, clear. So ignore was, the markets. Ignore she the was markets. Really clear. Well, what? she told us what she's going to do in March. She, and she listened. Well, she said, "Yeah, possibly." Like she did well, I mean, pretty carefully. Yeah, but I mean, I think you can be more. I mean, they're, they're further behind in their tightening yeah, sure. cycle, right? So, like, they're going to. People know they're going to carry on acting. I think. But okay, okay. Just Powell said nothing, and the market therefore had the opportunity to go with its own narrative. Lagarde said lots, and the market still ignored. Still did something. <laughs> it was just like. <laughs> Yeah, but do you think by the time it got to Lagarde, I mean, we'd had the reaction to Powell, then we had the same reaction to the BOE, where there was this kind of hawkish, people jumped on it, yeah, the pound they, jumped, and I, it like fell straight away. People are primed to want to believe that rate hikes are slowing or ending or, or going to be reversed. are down by 40 basis points. I, I, I have yeah. to imagine that some of that's got to be positioning. Like, like yes. Yeah. We, we were talking about this earlier. And it's like, like something, it has to be that in some pe- capacity. People hear what they want to hear sometimes as well, don't they? Like, if they think that people have been so desperate for this narrative to, yeah. to come through over the last couple of months that there's been a few meager signs of that from the Fed and the, the BOE, maybe less so from the ECB, but then you hear a comment from the ECB about balance risks and suddenly everyone pounces on that. So, yeah, I think that tells you what people wanted to hear from this today. Exactly. I, it, it's. It's a struggle to communicate. I think they've got a communication problem, but they have a communication problem. Um, <laughs> David, great to catch up. Thank you very much indeed for stopping by. We really Thanks. appreciate it. Uh, BOA and UK economy reporter, David Goodman. I wonder how they are going to finesse the message. I feel like we've all become psychoanalysts too. Like, how yeah. do you feel about that? Like, how does she feel about this? How is the market going to feel about it? We have to figure all, figure all this out too at the same time. I don't great. think that the markets are going to be good at that. No, absolutely not. Anyway, uh, ECB next. This is Bloomberg. 
This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. The Governing Council will stay the course in raising interest rates significantly at a steady pace and in keeping them at levels that are sufficiently restrictive to ensure a timely return of inflation to our 2% medium-term target. The hawk was flying today over in Frankfurt. That was ECB President Christine Lagarde speaking at the news conference, ECB lifting interest rates by half a point on Thursday, uh, forecasting one another 50 basis point hike for March. Says it's not revocable, but still, I mean, pretty hawkish guidance. And you have yields drop like a literal stone. Down 40, literally a stone. Wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, like a really big one. Like a a really huge Italian stone. That drops really fast by like 40 basis points. Yeah. So it was confusing to many um, how much of it is positioning, how much of it is real, how much of it is markets not really understanding what Christine Lagarde is talking about. There's a lot to go into all this. Um, And I don't know if we actually know the answer to it. We did talk to Peter Pret though. He was quite interesting. He's a former chief economist over at the ECB. He should know about Transmission mechanisms and How communication. And communicate. So his his it's about communication at this point. He the ECB may have to recalibrate its communication. Anyway, let's let's listen to what Peter had to say about what happened today because it, it's been an incredible day. And first, I agree with you that what we saw in financial markets is probably not what the ECB wanted to see. So you had actually a, a substantial easing of financial conditions, and that's the opposite of what the central bank tries to do. Uh, but uh, contrary to what Maria was saying, uh, the rally came already after the publication of the decisions. So that's when it started. And I think what is important, and I think markets exaggerated uh, the significance, is that in the communique, it's written that the central bank will evaluate, after March, will evaluate subsequent path of monetary policy. So uh, the, the markets took that as a sort of pause where, you know, uh, the ECB stance could go maybe in a more, you know, dovish direction. Uh, The problem, I think, in the press conference is that the president could have, you know, said something about this and, and, you know, push against, you know, market pricing, because that was already known, you know, when the press conference started. But I absolutely agree with your comment is that uh, what we have seen is sort of Easing of financial conditions is absolutely amazing. I mean, I was very surprised, by the way. You see almost 1% you know, appreciation of the dollar uh, vis-a-vis the euro. Yep. And uh, the Bund, the BTPs, you know, that's probably not what the ECB wanted, the governing council wanted to see. So this is not what the governing council wanted to see. Good afternoon, Peter. It's Guy. What do they do about it? Do we now need to see a series of interviews? Who should we be listening to? Who are you going to be watching for to recalibrate here? I think I think the um, there will be communication, I'm sure, um, and, and basically insisting on other aspects of the monetary policy decisions. Because you know, if you read it carefully, you see that uh, actually and there are some very hawkish, you know, uh, comments there. Uh, for example, that you know the governing council intends to dampen demand further uh, and, uh, you know, keeping interest rate at restrictive levels. Uh, I think what we are going to see in the coming hours probably is uh, some governors uh, making comments about the reaction of markets to the press committee and and saying basically that uh, markets should read, you know, the whole communique and not only some of the sentences there. 
can we talk about the word intend? Lagarde was quite clear to clarify that this is, a not, a, this is not 100% that the, the central bank will be raising 50 basis points in March. Why use that, yes, word, in the first, yeah. why use that word in the first place? Why, why put it out there and make it sound like it, it is a done deal and then have to clarify and provide a nuance after the fact. You, you remember we had a precedent, you know, about six months, six, seven months ago, where the, the, the governing council intended to increase the rates by 25 and then increase by 50 basis points, you remember. Uh, so uh, one has to be careful about these sort of words. But it is clear that Christine Lagarde explained that uh, the, the term intention is very strong. They run at different scenarios and uh, they always concluded that, you know, 50 basis points would be appropriate in many different situations and it would really need to be a very different scenario uh, to not mm -hmm. to stick to the 50 basis points. I think what really changed market uh, view is uh, the fact that ECB says beyond March that they would evaluate uh, you know the situation and reassess the situation. That's new compared to what was communicated in December where Christina Gart was hinting that maybe after you know, March, there would be another 50 basis points. That was not a very strong, you know, commitment, but there was a hint, you know, to what would happen after March. That was Peter Pratt uh, joining us, former European Central Bank chief economist. I, I did play a little devil's advocate after that. And I know this might sound silly, but like, was this in a weird way a good thing for the ECB? Because... I know he's looking at me like I'm weird, but hold on. They can sound hawkish. I, I know where you're going with they, this, but yeah. They can hike. They yeah. can pare back their APP program, asset purchase program, but they don't have to worry about spreads. They don't have to worry about Italy if your yields are down but by 40 they, basis okay, points. Okay, so, so, but start at the beginning. Why would you raise rates then? If you Financial conditions have eased massively today. Yes. Yeah, okay, so we don't have a spread problem with BTPs at the moment, but also the market's done the exact opposite of what you wanted it to do. So if you don't want the market to, if you want the market to drop, you cut rates, right? Yeah, yeah. But me, so what but, you're saying is do, that do, that. I wonder if can, that's broken. What is that broken? Is that model broken? It shouldn't be. I, the market, I, I, the the market is. I, I think the market may be getting ahead of itself. This feels like a big overreaction. But or is the market just a more of a binary? They don't do gray. They don't do like. I thought markets in, were meant to be nuanced. They're meant to be. But maybe they're not. I don't know. Like, if you have growth that is slowing but okay, inflation that is still high but slowing kinda, and you have maybe you can ease off a little bit, but you still want to keep um, ra raising rates. Like, maybe this is the best case scenario. Okay, I think the market just wants to buy risk, and like, I'm, I'm trying here. Like, I'm trying to find something that makes sense. I think the markets, the, the the next few days are going to be quite volatile. Or maybe the Fed just opened the door yesterday. Maybe they just opened the door and it was like, this is, you can re-risk, you can yesterday. short cover. The Fed, the Fed let the market come up with its own narrative. Lagarde at least tried to come up with a narrative. But at that point, it's too late. It was already but, almost 24 hours too late. We're going to break that down next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York alongside Guy Johnson. A quick check in here on U.S. markets. You got the Nasdaq up a whopping 3% on pretty high volume. The S&P is up 1.4%. The Dow's underperforming, but it's really about Meta at this moment. Um, an enormous surge in Meta stock, about 25% in the last day. That's on top of a 67% rally that we've seen uh, since mid-November. 
September when it hit its bottom. Um, Okay, I guess you like boring. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg comes out, says they're going to be very efficient. Uh, they're going to do more buybacks, and you, they're going to make a lot of money, $28.5 billion on the high end for the first quarter. And that kind of does it. What saying is that I'm listening. <laughs> I think the market appreciated that he was listening. That he acknowledged that they did do, do want more efficiency. Yeah. Right, versus uh, we're just going to keep spending on meta. Exactly. And no one's going to care. Because I think in the past That's he has... Enough not listened. Right. Fair enough. But is it is listening worth 25% on your stock? Apparently. Husbands out there, pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get some more headlines here with Denise Pellegrini. (laughs) All right, thank you. Yeah, and if these gains hold on Meta, guys, this could be the biggest one-day gain ever for Meta platforms. Also have those rate cuts to talk about rate hikes. I mean, the BOE pushing ahead with its 10th rate hike, bumping the base rate up by 50 basis points to 4%. We did have one for the dubs though. The word forcefully was removed from the bank's forward guidance. But Governor Bailey also saying risks around inflation are still very much tilted to the upside. Also, the ECB indicating another half-point hike is coming in March. And all this, of course, on top of that rate hike from the Fed yesterday, although, of course, the Fed also said the pace of inflation is easing. Labor unions appear to be emboldened by yesterday's massive strikes of half a million people or more in the UK. RMT boss Mike Lynch says strikes could get bigger and will probably need to get bigger, he says, in order to get worker demands met. Also, we have Royal Mail workers planning to resume strikes against the UK's Postal Service. That'll be February 16th. Rishi Sunak coming to this neck of the woods. The Prime Minister planning a visit to Washington along with his Australian counterparts. Sources also tell us they could meet with President Biden and it's all part of that so-called AUKUS trilateral agreement to counter China's growing presence in the Pacific. And British Airways and Virgin Atlantic both announcing resumption of services to China. BA restarting flights to Shanghai from April 23rd to Beijing from June. Virgin returning to Shanghai May 1st. And those are some of the stories we're following for you. And here is Alex Steele. All right, Denise, thank you very much. Denise Pellegrini joining us. Um, Okay, taking a look at the bond market. We mentioned what's happening with the equity market here in the U.S. You're seeing 10-year yields down by six basis points, the two-year down by four. Um, Nothing compared to what we're seeing over in Europe. But nonetheless, the two-day tally is like still down 15 basis points or so on the 10-year. Jay Powell um, tried to be hawkish in his press conference yesterday. Let's hear a little bit of what he had to say. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. Uh, I would say that our focus is not on short-term moves, but on sustained changes to broader financial conditions. We're trying to make a, a fine judgment about how much is restrictive enough? Given our outlook, I, I, I just I don't see us cutting rates this year. If we get our if our outlook turns true, if we do see inflation coming down much more quickly, that'll that'll play into our policy saying. Of course, there's only one way forward here, and that is for Congress to raise the debt ceiling. No one should assume that the Fed can protect the economy from the consequences of failing to act in a timely manner. It would be very premature to declare victory or to to think that we've really got this. The job is not fully done. There's work left to do. That was Jay Powell yesterday at the news conference. Um, and nevertheless, the market isn't effectively pricing in about 50 basis point cuts by the end of the year, if you look at the swaps market, et cetera. So let's get more on this with Michael McKee joining us from D.C. Um, Mike, why? Powell was really <laughs> clear. We're not cutting this year. And yet the market pushes back very hard on this. 
I think uh, what we have here is a twist on the old phrase, um, the Fed is from Mars, the markets are from Venus. They, they, they don't, they're not speaking the same language. And there's a reason for that. Uh, the Fed makes its decisions every six weeks based on what they know at the time and what their forecast is uh, for the future. But they're basically looking at things on a uh, – shorter term basis uh, than the markets. The markets are right now saying, well, by September, we're going to see inflation low enough that the Fed can cut rates. And the Fed is saying, we're looking at March. And we don't think we're going to be cutting rates in March. And we haven't seen any evidence that proves to us we would be cut rating, cutting uh, rates by September. So we're just going to stick with uh, what we got. Uh, and so they're looking at kind of two different things from two different perspectives. Powell noted that yesterday when he said, you know, finance is a great job. I used to do it, but it's a different job than what I have. Is the Fed not being explicit enough, Mike? The, 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 the ECB today was very explicit. And, and yes, the market read something completely differently into what it said. But, but at least it was explicit. It made very clear the message that it wanted to communicate. Is Powell being too... To unclear, unclear is the wrong word. But I'm trying to find the right word. But but is Squishy? he not is he not being specific enough here in in the message that he wants to communicate? Well, for whom that that's kind mm. of the question. Markets want him to say, uh, you know, two o'clock on uh, Wednesday, September, whatever, uh, we're going to be cutting rates. And okay, that's what the he, but but he, he, he is know. not in control of his narrative. He's letting the market interpret. Well, for the markets, you know, mar markets are going to do what markets are going to do. I guess. Uh, is the way he's he's thinking about it. Now, um, the Fed and the ECB are in two different places. The ECB is just sort of beginning its rate increase uh, path, and the Fed is close to the end of it, and everybody knows that. So Lagarde and company are giving much more explicit forward guidance about what they're going to do. The Fed doesn't know what it's going to need to do for a while because it, it was giving explicit guidance for a year about uh, rates. Uh, we all knew going into each meeting it was going to be 75, 75, <laughs> and then 25. So, so the Fed is now saying, well, we're not sure yet. Uh, and that's the difference, sure. I think, between the guidance. But I understand sort of being more conditional when it comes to hikes, but he certainly could have addressed the financial conditions question yeah. to Guy's point differently, like to saying that, that they haven't loosened when they had. I mean, he had a real opportunity there and he didn't take it. Why? Well, I, I think um, he probably could have talked about that better. Um, the, the thing about financial conditions is there are five, six, seven different financial conditions, <coughs> excuse me, indexes out there. And they're constructed differently, and they tell different stories. If you look at the Bloomberg Financial Conditions Index, it is right now saying that the Fed is uh, loose. Yeah. And if you look at the Goldman Sachs uh, Financial Conditions Index, it backs up what Powell said yesterday about significant tightening. And you have to use the right uh, mm. time period, too. If you look at the last month, everything's gotten a little bit looser. But yep. if you go back to when the Fed started raising interest rates in March of last year, uh, the Goldman Sachs one shows a significant okay. tightening in financial conditions. So I, I think he could have been more explicit about that. Mm. But I think the Fed, because they know the limitations of these indexes, doesn't pay as much attention to it as perhaps okay. uh, the markets are. Knowing what you know now, if you were back in the press conference, what question would you ask? I think the uh, the key question that 
the way I would have done it is say, uh, this is a bit confusing to everybody. Uh, are you saying maybe? Uh, because it sounds like you're saying maybe. At one point you say, yes, we're going to still be raising rates more. Yep. And then we're going to see what happens. And the market thinks that we're going to be cutting rates. And if that happens, yep. that's okay. So, you know, could you be a little more explicit about it than, than you were? Yep. I guess that comes down to the question of should they have communi- been a little bit more specific in the communication to avoid that? that sense of confusion. Mike, always a pleasure. Great stuff over the last 24 hours. We've really appreciated. Up next, we're going to hear from Deutsche Bank's CFO. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening and listen to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York alongside Guy Johnson. So Deutsche Bank uh, closed down about 6.5% uh, over in Germany. Um, so here's the rub. Uh, you did have their... Uh, Profit for Fick was okay. It missed, and it wasn't as good as it was the quarter before, but it was still okay. Investment banking revenue uh, was pretty terrible, but that was pretty much across the board for all the big banks. Um, their costs were a little higher, and they didn't announce uh, a buyback. So that was all kind of feeding into this. And this was also um, a long streak of market share gains in the trading unit. So that part in itself was a little disappointing. Um, also, there's been a big run within European bank stocks. So we had Manus Cranny uh, catching up with the CFO uh, earlier today on Bloomberg Television, James von Moltke. And this is part of their conversation. Against our guidance um, for the fourth quarter, we were probably a little bit short on revenues, mostly in the investment bank, mm-hmm. but against what was actually a, a record fourth quarter in our FIC business, nevertheless. So, so it was a, a little bit of the froth uh, in, the, in the very end of the year went away. We're still very pleased with the performance and don't see that as any signal about 2023. In fact, the momentum has really continued strongly into 2023. Well, the guidance for this year is 28 to 29 billion in terms of top line revenue. Confident that you will hit. 28? We're absolutely confident. Look, we, we show in our investor materials interest rates lift us by 900 million, nearly a billion euros. Just that alone, the rate curve coming through this year. And so, so what could we, get? What, we don't have what, to do that we, much we in the rest of the year? business. I mean, with the rates continuing to rise in Europe, what's realistic guidance for the market this morning for the year? Well, look, it's the 28 to 29. Uh, we, we base our, our forecasts on the forward rate curve at this, okay. at this point, only a couple of weeks old. So we feel pretty, pretty solid on the guidance on the rate part of it. And the momentum in the business in terms of new assets, fee and commission income generation, and really the, the strength of the franchise gives us a lot of confidence about, about that revenue momentum. I would expect this year to see a moderation of that volatility. But as you say, we don't rule out that there are going to be more discontinuities. The yen complex is one that we look at um, in the transition of, of leadership at the Bank of Japan. Uh, you know, a, Do you think that this, could be the depth charge for volatility this year? Everybody's saying that We'll to me. see. That's interesting. But we'll, I don't know whether that's, that's a real sort of uh, a catalyst for volatility. But what I will say is, with the extent of moves that have taken place, mm-hmm. it's actually surprising in a sense that the markets have absorbed that and managed through that volatility and that enormous sea change that we've seen over the last 12 or 15 months in raids without more sort of discontinuous markets. And, um, and so we can't rule out that the markets remain fragile and we'll see some of that volatility. The Fed overnight are talking about the pace of future hikes as opposed to the extent. I mean, this is a dovish tilt, people are saying. Do you think that's going to be welcome? We're near the top. They're trying to guide towards 5%. Look, I think two things. One is with the, the pace of, of rate increases 
has meant that there hasn't been the pause that you'd like to have as a central banker to see the impact on the economy of the, of the past rate increases. So we think it makes sense. To our mind, it has been the terminal rate that, that is the key issue, and we don't think there's a change in that. And then after that, the length of time that the central banks stay at the terminal rate. And there is a possibility, I think, that the rate markets are underestimating how long it will take to truly push inflation back to 2%. Our view is the central banks need to stay the course. The risk of, of blinking, if you like, is a significant risk, as we saw in the 70s. Uh, and therefore, there may still be some adjustment to, to that determination that we think does exist at the central banks to, to stay the course. James Wilmilke, talking about us a little bit earlier on, central banks need to stay the course. I wonder how Deutsche Bank's FIC team did today. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when we saw this volatility. I was like, man, FIC trading must be amazing right now. I, they've had they've had not the greatest quarter, and they've had a great run. I wonder if almost today is going to... They made it. Yeah. I, it, it, <laughs> somebody like, is, is making a lot of money quarter. today. Yes. Somebody is making a ton of money today. And I think it's going to be interesting to see which bank ultimately ends up being... The winner. Yeah, preeminent. Well, not only that, but I mean, you could argue the argument that the next 24 hours is going to be kind of crazy headed into the jobs number. So yeah. everyone we spoke to said that this rally doesn't make sense. So therefore, you're going to have a reversal at some point. Could uh, be tomorrow. And yeah. you get a really strong jobs number tomorrow. Yes. You've got CPI coming up pretty shortly as well. And there's loads of things. Like everybody's at one side of the boat. Yes. They're going to run to the other side of the boat. Traders are like, do it. Let's do it. Let's this make our enemy go on our vacation. Like, this, is, this, is, this is a trader's world right now. Absolutely, absolutely front and center. Tech. When he comes out on top, this We're is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. Meta, formerly Facebook, is up by 20, 25% today. A quarter. Unbelievable. This, as Zuckerberg comes out and says, we're going to have a year of efficiency. Uh, which sounds like something a state would do. But no, this is Facebook. This is Meta. Anyway, Ed Ludlow joins us from San Francisco. Ed, a 25% move yeah. feels a little aggressive for a simple line that we are going to be more efficient. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to put these two things together. But that's not even the line. The line was the year of efficiency. Yeah, okay. We're gonna I tried to make it sound exciting, yeah, but it's so really not, not is it? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's funny because you read the sell-side reaction, you look at the stock reaction, it's just a ginormous jump, right? The, like a historic, you know, jump in the stock. But if you think about it, it's, it's, it's Zuckerberg giving the market exactly what they were asking for. They were fed up with all the money being spent on transitioning to the metaverse. So what did Meta do? They said, okay, for full year 23, we're going to cut our expenses by $5 billion to a range of 89 to 93 billion. And the market cheered it. And they were like, yes, this is exactly what we've been saying. And if you read between the lines of what they said on the call and about managers, managing managers, managing managers, managing managers, you know, they seem to keep the door open to further cost reduction as well in the form of, I guess, more cuts, more layoffs. Um, but they also did really well, you know, in the scheme of things, considering the macro environment with their actual product, their actual business. I just don't understand why the stock now is up, like, what, what are we up, like 80% now since November? How is any of this worth that, that Well, much? from a low base as well. I mean, for a it reason. A it's not just like it was just all of a sudden down. I mean, for me, I, like, I, I'm here in Silicon Valley, right? I love the technology story. I love the relevancy of Facebook, right? The core Facebook platform grew its daily user base to 2 billion, 2 billion with a B users, a jump of 70 million from 
um, a year ago. No one saw that coming. But actually, is that is the market cheering that? It, actually, I think they're pretty pleased about the buyback boost, right? I think they authorize additional buybacks, uh, authorization of forty, adding forty billion to the eleven billion already out there. Those are things that the investors like. They're giving the market what the market wants. Okay. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> I, go I, buy a stack for efficiency. I got nothing on that. I think we're trying to explain something that is pretty inexplicable, to be honest. Um, okay, AAA. Let's talk about it. AAA. AAA, uh, which for those listening in the United States, uh, for listening in the UK, is the equivalent of the AA. So isn't it the American Automobile Association? Isn't that the AAA? AAA. We call it AAA. So we like if you, it, it, if you break down on a highway, you call it AAA. We just call it right, the Right, but that, that is not what we're talking about. But anyway. That's yeah. not what we're talking but we're about. We're actually talking about companies. We are. So, do you want to name the companies, Alex? I do. Uh, Amazon, Apple, and Google. <laughs> Ag. I can Ag. say Alphabet, but really, let's be totally honest. It's 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 Google. Yeah, she's old school. Um, which one of those is going to matter the most? Apple. I think Apple. Right. It's the most global of the companies in terms of the, the consumer base, and it's the the one where the pain has been most telegraphed. You know, we we started twenty. 22 last year thinking apple would ship uh, you know a uh, hundred million handsets or whatever it was and by the end of december which was the worst month on uh, for the stock since may of 2019 the market had really revised expectations because apple couldn't sell the cheaper iphone 14 the demand just wasn't there and then because of supply chain disruptions in Zhengzhou, china where the iphone 14 pro is built they couldn't build enough of the model that people actually wanted and so i think the question going into it is like how is apple faring in this environment and how does it see 2023 given its global footprint do you think we're really gonna get a clean read on that from them well, we were discussing this on the TV show earlier, weren't we? That that Tim Cook always says every quarter, I am not an economist. And yet he's the CEO of this sort of ginormous so company. I don't buy that. I don't buy you that know, exactly. You know, you have a lens into the global economy and your own supply chains. So people will be really interested in that. Um, you know, th this is a macro story. There is a, a, an economy that's rocky globally. And Apple makes expensive things. And the consumer is reticent, not just in North America, but in Europe and China as well, to spend money on, on expensive things, inflation such as it is. So that's why we'll pay such close attention. Just come back from Seattle. I saw the Amazon headquarters. You were oh, really excited about this, by the way. Like, you genuinely talked about it. No, I get it. Call. Did you see the spheres? The, the spheres? The balls? The spheres? Didn't see the spheres. Those are cool, spheres. too. Anyway. Saw the... Okay. Um, <laughs> so many. Is, is Amazon going to be a story tonight about AWS and the slowdown in cloud, or is it going to be a consumer slowdown in spending story? Good question. Remember that Amazon set an extraordinarily low bar for itself with, a, with its forecast for the holiday quarter, the three months ending in December. And so the market expects Amazon to clear that. And that's a big Amazon.com e-commerce um, story. Uh, and you know, it hasn't really told us what the financial impact of its layoffs are. So if you compare, for example, with Microsoft, when Microsoft announced layoffs, they said this is going to hit EPS to the tune of 12 cents, right? They quantified it. They took a $1.2 billion charge. Amazon didn't do that. So that is a big factor. And AWS, yes, it's a big question mark because it accounts for basically all of operating income. It is the cash cow. Mm -hmm. um, which Amazon is less known for because it's less consumer facing, but crucial to its finances. So yes, we'll be looking into it. You know, um, it, it, it's probably going to be slow growth compared to historic performance. That's what we're expecting. And to wrap it up, let's talk about the third A, Google. 
Yeah, the third A, Google, whose parent company is known as Alphabet. I <laughs> no, I don't actually. Um, yeah, but I, but after the meta read too, I wonder if we're going to be poised for something better than we think. Yeah, so in the calendar third quarter, you know, Alphabet or Google was hit by the slowdown in ads, right? Its core search business, which has for a long time been seen as super resilient, just wasn't that resilient. And so we will want to know how it's faring up. Meta was positive for Alphabet because they actually beat expectations in the quarter gone and gave a bullish forecast while saying that actually there are pockets of weakness in ads still. But how does that translate to Alphabet? Their cuts as well. You know, the biggest cuts in this company's history. Um, we want to quantify what that means for it financially. I know this is kind of very beige, dull, balance sheety type stuff, but it's super important it. because it sets our expectations for this year. And you love it. Um, I love it. Ed, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed. That wraps the cable up for another day. I'm going to go and get on an airplane and go back to the other side of the cable, the pound side of the cable. Um, I'll see you on Monday. Well, I'll hear you on Monday. Yeah. I won't see you. Nope. It's been a pleasure. It's fun having you in here. We get to see our own individual like weird quirks now. There are many weird things. It's very true. Very weird. <laughs> have, a, uh, have a good weekend, guy. I will see you guys tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. <laughs>